have a list of sick people that, some of which you can find in the bulletin, others not. We want you to be praying for them, okay? Irene Baker, John Dryden, Sandy Bonham are all dealing with terminal cancer. Martha Eaton's been experiencing foot pain. She's having to get her thyroid under control so that she can talk about some surgery. Austin Wentz, remember him and his treatments. Joan Mormon's here, but she's been dealing with shoulder injury for quite a while now, still in pain. Remember Quitman Wigginton. He's at Landmark. He's, he's doing great with his therapy. And we, we see him on Sundays when we do our devotionals. Terry Green, who's Ricky's brother, is at UAB undergoing several weeks of chemo treatments. Verlin Davis has Alzheimer's. Remember her and her caregivers, please. Geraldine Taylor is also at Landmark. She's there for rehab and doing pretty well. David Yates, who has liver troubles, was in the emergency room, I think, today. And He has 40 pounds of fluid they're trying to remove. He's, you can imagine, very uncomfortable. Remember Ann Stevens as she battles health issues and Jeff Goff, who broke his back. Stella Pittman is back at her daughter's home in Tupelo, welcomes visits. Remember Bobby Davis, who is Jerry Ligon's friend. He has 90% blockage, and they're trying to determine a treatment that's going to help him. Connie Edge is recovering from her knee surgery and doing very well. Marilyn Wilson is at home but requests no visitors right now. Milton Floyd has had some circulation problems with his legs, so we're praying medication will work for that. Katie Jo Lindley has cancer. I saw on Facebook that Greg Pollock's mother was diagnosed with multiple myeloma and LGL leukemia last week. So please remember that family in your prayers. Sue James um, has cancer. This is a friend of Rick's. And Shirley Stacy, uh, she has pneumonia, a blood clot in her lungs. She also, I think, broke her ankle. These are also friends of Rick's. A Gifford family, he wants us praying for. There was an accident and some casualties. So just please remember the family. Joanne Roberts' sister, Mary Ellen Parrish, has both COVID and the flu right now. And if you're on the mission team, this is a uh, note for you. We have a visiting missionary here tonight who'd like to speak with us. So if you're available, how about let's meet in the elders conference room immediately after services tonight and give him some time. So the mission committee meet for a few minutes after services in the elders' conference room. Okay, that's my list of sick. It's long, isn't it? But God's merciful and good, isn't he? Yes, he is. Let's sing a song together, and then we'll have our prayer and begin our Bible study in the book of John. Number 528, 528. I know
All right, let's pray together. Our Father in heaven, thank you for a great day today. Thank you for your blessings on us, for our health and strength. That's sufficient to make it possible for us to assemble here this evening. We pray, though, Father, for those who are seriously ill or afflicted in some way, and we're praying for their deliverance. We ask your blessings on Irene Baker, John Dryden, and Sandy Bonham as they're in the latter stages of cancer. We pray for their comfort and for their families. We ask your blessings on Martha Eaton as she's trying so desperately to get her health in a good place. And we pray, Father, that she can have relief from the troubles with her foot very soon. Please bless Austin Wentz as he undergoes his treatments. Bless Joan Mormon in her recovery. Please be with Quitman as he undergoes his treatments. We're thankful he's doing well. Bless Terry Green as he undergoes his chemo treatments, that there'll be a success and result in what they're hoping for. We pray for Verlin Davis and for her family. We ask your blessings on Geraldine Taylor, that she is also making good progress. Bless David Yates, who is so very sick right now. We pray he'll get relief from his condition. Please be with Ann Stevens and give her good days. Bless Jeff Goff that he's healing well and can get back to normal. We pray for Stella Pittman. We're thankful that she can be back in her normal surroundings. And we just pray that uh, she'll be blessed by being in her daughter's home. We pray for Bobby Davis, who has this blockage, very serious condition. We pray that doctors are able to unravel the mystery of it and be able to promote healing in him. We pray for Connie Edge and her recovery for Marilyn Wilson and hers. Bless Milton Floyd as he's tending to the problems with his legs, and we pray that medication is going to be a success. Be with Katie Jo Lindley as she battles cancer. Be with Greg Pollock's mother that her treatment will be sufficient to promote healing. We pray for Sue James and for Shirley Stacy that they can get better with the treatments they're undergoing. And we pray comfort for the Gifford family. Please be with Joanne's sister, who's so very sick right now. We pray that she's getting the kind of treatment that's going to result in healing for her and that that will come very soon. And we pray for uh, Brother Gutum, who's come our way, and we pray success in his missionary efforts. We pray, Father, that you will bless us in our study of your word tonight. Help us to be good students and help us to grow in our knowledge. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, so we've been looking at the signs, seven of them that are found in the book of John. In chapter 2, the first 11 verses, we have the study of what? Turning the water into wine. In chapter 4, verses 43 to 54, we have what? Healing of the nobleman's son. Yes. Chapter 5, the first 18 verses. Healing of the man with the infirmity. He'd been sick for how long? 38 years. In chapter 6, we have two very significant signs. One of those is in the first 15 verses, and that deals with what? Okay, feeding of the 5,000, the most famous and the one covered by all of the Gospels. In the latter part of the chapter, verses 16 to 21, we have what sign? Jesus walking on the water. In chapter 9, we have another healing. Which one is that? First 41 verses. It's a big one. Healing of the blind man. And then the last time that we were together, which was actually two weeks ago uh, due to the storm, we started our study of chapter 11, which is the raising of Lazarus from the dead. Now, actually, the whole story will go through verse 53 and kind of discusses the complications of the results. However, just for the purpose of developing belief, we're only going through verse 45 of the text. And we've learned a lot about it already. We've seen the setting and uh, some of the expectations that have already come. Lord willing, we're going to finish that. And then 
as we have time, we will talk about some of the witnesses that we find in the book of John. Okay, so when Jesus came, he found that he had already been in the tomb four days. Now, Bethany was near Jerusalem, about two miles, and we saw that Bethany was right there on, you know, the Mount of Olives. It's on the road that goes to Jericho. Pretty handy. Jesus spent a lot of time there with Mary, Martha, and Lazarus. Many of the Jews had joined the women around Martha and Mary to comfort them concerning their brother. And I mentioned to you that typically there's seven days of mourning. There would be 30 days of kind of lesser mourning, just kind of phasing out a period of devotion and thought to the person who's passed. So we're kind of in the first part of that. Martha, as soon as she heard that Jesus was coming, went and met him, but Mary was sitting in the house. So Mary stays in the house. Martha's going to hit the road because we find out Jesus didn't make it to the house. Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. Okay, this is going to be the first instance of look. If you had come a little bit earlier, you could have done the thing you are known for doing. You know, healing people. Man, alive, now he's dead and all hope is lost. But even now, I know that whatever you ask of God, God will give you. What's she expressing? Well, faith, yeah, but it's kind of her, her faith in Jesus has had a setback because she wanted him there, verse 21. Now she's like, this would start with an H. She is hopeful that maybe something, something can be done. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Martha said to him, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection at the last day. Now, that's indicative of a belief in what? A belief in the resurrection. Not, not that Jesus is going to do it, but that's kind of typical of a lot of folks at the time. You remember one of the things that separated the Sadducees from the Pharisees? Sadducees didn't believe in the resurrection, but the Pharisees, who were very popular among the people, actually what? They did. And so it's not uncommon for her to say, you know what, Lord? Yeah, and appreciate the encouragement and the soothing. I'm like most people. I do believe in the resurrection of the last day. So I'm at least hopeful for that. Jesus says, though, listen, girl. I'm not just talking about the resurrection to come. And here's one of those statements that we're going to be hitting on here a little bit later. You remember in chapter 8 and verse 58, Jesus said before Abraham was what? I am. Now Jesus is driving that I am thing, right? I am. Now when does this am indicate when is the existence of am? Always. I was, I am, and I always will be. I'm the great I am. I'm the one who was in council with Abraham. Now I'm telling you, just to kind of sweeten the deal about the expectation of resurrection, yeah, you might be like the Pharisees, but I'm telling you in your presence right now, I am past, present, future the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me, though he may die, he shall live. Wait, do we know anybody who's died lately? Yes, and okay, shall live. I'm thinking again, just with Martha and most everybody's expectation. Yeah, okay, appreciate the sermon, but that's still future, right? Whoever believes and lives, uh, whoever lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? You, you, you with me so far? She says, yes, Lord, I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God who has come into the world. Wait, the first statement that he made is, I am the resurrection and the life. You believe that? She says, yeah, I believe that. The reason I believe it is because I believe you are what? Well, at least the I am portion of it. You know, I, I know, I, I'm with you. I believe that you're the Christ. I believe you're the one that was to come. And when she had said these things, she went away and secretly called Mary, her sister, who's still where? At the house. She's out on the road with Jesus. Jesus is out on the road because his destination is where? The tomb. He ain't going to the house. We're going to the tomb. 
So she calls for Mary. The teacher has come calling for you. As soon as she heard that, she arose quickly and came to him. Now Jesus had not yet come into the town, but was in the place where Martha met him. Okay, still out on the road. The Jews who were with her in the house and comforting her, when they saw that Mary rose up quickly and went out, followed her, saying, she's going to the tomb to weep there. So what are they planning to do? Wherever you are weeping, what? We're going with you because we are the, starts with an M, ends with an I-N-G. We're the, we're the ones who are mourning. We're the mourners who are going with you. We'll weep wherever you go. Then, when Mary came where Jesus was and saw him, she fell down at his feet saying to him, okay, notice the words, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. Have you read that before? Say at verse 21, what had Martha said? Exactly word for word. You think that these girls have been talking about Jesus already? Man, oh man, if Jesus had been here, this would never have happened. We are just so... Well, what would you say when you're disappointed in Jesus? We don't know, right? Because we are never disappointed. But these girls were expecting him to come and heal him while he was still living. Now he's dead. And both of them, verse 21, and now right here in verse 32, if you'd been here, he'd not died. What in the world? Therefore, when Jesus saw her weeping, we got a lot of weeping. They were weeping at the house. The people with them were weeping and mourning. Now what? We're still weeping. The Jews who came with her, they're still weeping. He groaned in the spirit and was troubled. That's important. How did Jesus feel about what he was experiencing here? He's with them, right? You are breaking my heart. I have compassion and have sympathy for you because you are hurting. He said, where have you laid him? They said to him, Lord, come and see. Verse 35, Jesus wept. Okay, now, you know the story like I do. Here in just a little bit, Jesus is going to raise Lazarus from the dead. How's, this, how's the emotional situation going to change? Man, there's, yay! Right? Just incredible rejoicing. But in this moment right here, despite the fact that Jesus knows momentarily I'm going to raise Lazarus from the dead and this is going to be a pate. Right now, people are hurting. Now, this is the, it's typically referred to as the shortest verse in the New Testament. Actually, that's a misnomer. It's the shortest verse in the English translation. In the Greek, there's 16 letters in the words that are translated Jesus wept. 16 letters. Over in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 16, in the English, there is rejoice always. Actually, in the Greek, that's 14 Greek letters. Therefore, it's the shortest verse. Yay! You probably didn't care about that. But just in case it comes up in conversation. But then you say, what about, what about my friends who use the ESV translation? What about that text in Luke chapter 20 and verse 30 that says, and the second... And then you read in the special notes, it says that your translator left out the rest of the verse. What about that? Well, actually, then the second is comprised of 12 Greek letters. So you go from 16 to 14 to 12. So a disputed text is actually the shortest. Now you have it. Are you excited? You now know way more than you wanted to know about that. But Jesus wept. He is expressing compassion and sympathy for people that he knows here momentarily are going to be so happy. It doesn't matter. You're eventually going to be happy over something, but does Jesus care about that right now in the moment where you are suffering the most? Nod your head this way. Yes, Jesus cares about us. The Jews said, see how he loved him. Oh, he's just, he's torn up inside. Everybody's crying, even Jesus. Boy, I bet he feels bad about not having been here to save him when he could have. 
Some of them said, could not this man who opened the eyes of the blind also have kept this man from dying? Come on, are we getting the same story over and over and over? Verse 21, if you'd have been here. Verse 32, if you'd have been here. Verse 37, the whole crowd says, Lord, if you'd have been here, this wouldn't be such a disaster. And now look how bad you feel. Well, okay then, Jesus again groaning in himself. Still feeling it, is he? He came to the tomb. It was a cave and a stone lay against it. Jesus said, take away the stone. Martha, the sister of him who was dead, said to him, Lord, but this time there's a stench, for he's been dead four days. Okay, question. Martha... Do you believe in me? What has she already said? She said, I believe that you're the Christ, the Son of God. Do you believe in me? I am. Yeah, I believe you're the I am. Do you believe that I am right now in this moment, the resurrection and the life? Do you believe that? Then move this stone out of the way. So what do they do? The text says, Jesus explained it to her, do I not say to you that if you would believe, you would see the glory of God? Okay, up until this point, have they removed the stone? No, they have not. Jesus says, I am, right? Yes. Resurrection and life? Yes. Didn't I tell you? Yes. Then believe me. And so what do they do? What is a demonstration of their faith in this moment? It says that they took away the stone from the place where the dead man was lying. Why would they take the stone away? Jesus said, do it, and they also what? Starts with a B. They believe. Why would we move the stone? He's already stinking. We're not going to do that. No, we are because we believe you're the resurrection and the life. They took away the stone from the place where the dead man was lying, and Jesus lifted up his eyes and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me, and I know that you always hear me, but because of the people who are standing by, I said this, that they may believe that you sent me. What could Jesus have done clear from 20 miles away if he wanted to? He could have raised Lazarus from the dead. What could Jesus have done even without saying a word? He could have raised Lazarus up from the dead. But he says, because of these people, I want them to believe. So I want them to hear the whole conversation. I've gone through the whole litany of examples and demonstrations of who I am and this conversation I've had with Martha. We have come to the place where I have made the exact declaration that not only I am, but today in this moment, right here at this tomb, with the stone rolled away, I am the resurrection and the life. Now when he had said these things, he cried with a loud voice, Lazarus, come forth! Now, and you've heard this before, so this isn't new. But I'm always overwhelmed at this moment. We're at the graveyard. Why didn't he just say, come forth as the great I am, the resurrection and the life? <laughs> I just, if he said come forth, all of those stones would have come rolling away. Yes or no? Yes. Lazarus, specifically you, <laughs> you come forth. Okay, what happened? He who had died came out bound, hound and foot with grave clothes still on. His face was wrapped with a cloth. Jesus said to them, loose him and let him go. Now, I don't know if you've thought much about Lazarus. Uh, how's Lazarus feeling about right now? Last thing he remembers is maybe I was sick and now I wake up and I'm wrapped up. Can you imagine he came hopping out of there like, what in the world, you know? Get me out of this. I, I just, I don't know. My imagination kind of goes crazy. Jesus said, loose him. When you loose something, it just kind of gives the idea. It's bound up and let me go, right? Let me loose. So he says, loose that guy and let him go. 
Then many of the Jews who had come to Mary, why had they come to Mary? To mourn, to weep. Oh, we're grieving. We're in the midst of it. has been dead four days. Those who had come to Mary and had seen the things Jesus did, did what? They believed in Him. Why did they believe in Him? And what do they believe about Him? Not just that He's a great healer. He is the I Am. He, he has demonstrated exactly what He said He is. In this moment, a dead man has been raised to life. Jesus has the power to do that. Okay, so you have all of these stories, seven that we have highlighted through our study thus far. Seven witnesses are emphasized throughout the book as well. So you have the signs, but what are the signs without people who can back up and say either I was there or I know that this is true? Otherwise, it's just a story, right? You need witnesses because if, if you are dealing with what we're dealing with, evidential faith, evidential faith, meaning we need the evidence in order to establish the faith. If you're dealing with evidential faith, then you need witnesses, people who can verify what is being said. Now, throughout the book of John, you have, guess how many witnesses? Well, you could say there were mobs of people, Ken. There were people, just like in that case, or all those mourners who saw, yeah. But I'm talking about significant witnesses who've seen it all. There are actually seven that are mentioned in the book of John. Now, I've listed all of those here for you. What we're going to do is go through them quickly in order to establish how it is that these folks are actually witnesses, eyewitnesses, those who can verify the things that were done, who can give evidence to that. And at the top of the list is Jesus Christ himself. Now, I'll tell you that this list is made up of two locations. One is found in chapter 5. And in chapter 5, you'll have verse 31, verse 33, verse 36, verse 37, and verse 39. In chapter 15, there are only two verses that talk about the witnesses. That's verse 26 and verse 27. We're going to talk about them one by one and reveal who it is that's spoken of in those texts. Okay, so in chapter 5, at verse 31, it's none other than Jesus himself. You know, Jesus, think about his credentials. Who is he now? He's the Son of God. Can God lie? God cannot lie. So we ought to assume right off the bat that his testimony is going to be accepted. However, Jesus himself says here in chapter 5, verse 31... He says, if I bear witness of myself, my witness is not true. Wait a minute. Now, I know he bore witness of himself because just a moment ago he said, I am. And then he said, I'm the resurrection and the life in that location. So Jesus did give testimony or witness to the fact that he's the son of God. But in that text, he says, if, if I do that, then my witness is not true. So does that mean that he's a liar? No, actually what that is trying to tell us is that under normal circumstances, if a person gives testimony on their own behalf, it's not valid as testimony in a court because obviously the person under scrutiny is going to do what? They're going to vouch for themselves, right? Okay, so Jesus is not saying what I'm saying is not true. Jesus is saying what Deuteronomy chapter 17 and verse 6 said, that in order to establish a truth, there need to be at least two or three witnesses. Does that seem reasonable? Yeah, it, kind of, it does, except that, you know, let's be serious. We are talking about the Son of God. And I kind of go back to a discussion, I guess it's kind of a jab, <laughs> that the man who was blind, who now can see, makes toward the Pharisees in chapter 9 and verse 30. You remember what he said to them? He said, it is a marvelous thing that you do not know where he, come from, where he comes from, yet he made me to be able to see. 
Oh, wait a minute. You guys talk about how you're so godly and you know the things of God. However, it is obvious that what Jesus did was by the power of God, and yet, did they accept that? Shake your head this way. No, they did not accept it. They said, he's, you know, he's, he's, a, he's fake. He's in league with Satan. He, he's no good. He, he's, you know, charlatan. The blind man says, it's amazing to me that you don't know that he's from God when it's obvious that he has opened my eyes. So, yeah, what Jesus did and, and the signs and so forth should have made it clear for people that Jesus was the Son of God, but it did not. However, we're talking about Jesus being someone who gives testimony or witnesses to the fact that he is who he says he is. And I want to give you seven I am statements. And Lord willing, next week we'll talk about these a little more detail. But there are seven I am statements actually here in the book of John. The first of those you'll find in chapter 6 and verse 35. Jesus said, I am the bread of life. I am the bread of life. Not just bread, but I am in this moment, whenever this moment is, I am the bread that if you eat it, you will have what? You will have eternal life. In chapter 8 and verse 12, that actually a text, a statement that's reiterated several times we've noticed as we've gone through our studies of chapter 9 and chapter 11, Jesus says, I am, in any moment, past, present, future, I am the light of the world. That's significant because this world is filled with what? Darkness. So in any moment, the light that exists in the world, if there is light, that light finds its source with Jesus. Chapter 8, verse 12. Okay, in chapter 10, you actually have two just a few verses apart. In verse 9, Jesus describes himself, I am the door. And then in verse 11, he says, I am the good shepherd. And both of those are dealing with sheep either being in the sheepfold or the sheep being under the direction of the shepherd. That's pretty significant. And that whole chapter deals with that issue itself, our bonding to Jesus, our relationship with him. And then in chapter 11, we just saw it a moment ago in verse 25, Jesus says, I am what? The resurrection and the life. In chapter 14, maybe the most famous, I don't know, Jesus says he's three things. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except by me. Chapter 14, verse 6. So I'm the way to God, I'm the truth about God, and I'm the life with God. And then the last, the seventh of those, is actually uh, in chapter 15, verse 1. Jesus said, I am the true vine. And every one of those, the significance is placed upon Jesus as the I am. Before Abraham was, I am. I am in existence. I'm in the moment when you need me. Is there ever a moment when you go through life that Jesus isn't there for you? Say, say no. There is not a moment in which I'm going it alone. Jesus says, I will never leave you nor forsake you. Therefore, we may boldly say what? The Lord's my helper. I'm not fear. What can man do to me? The answer is nothing. So Jesus himself is a one that gives great testimony. The second of these is John the Baptist, chapter 5 and verse 33. Now, here are the ways that John the Baptist gives testimony to who Jesus is. In chapter 1 and verse 20 of the book of John, John the Baptist says, and, and this is interesting because it's kind of a, a negative take on it. John the Baptist says, I am not the Christ. So if anybody had any misconceptions, John says, number one, even though many of you want to put that moniker on me, the fact is I am not the Christ. So question is, who is? Well, in John chapter 1 at verse 29, and then it's stated again at verse 36, John the Baptist, when he sees Jesus, says, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Now, when I read that, I conclude John, who says he's not the Christ, is telling us what? 
who is the Christ. And he's talking about Jesus. But in case you had any misgivings about that and you said, well, you know, it's not specific enough for me. I'm, you know, kid, I try to be a good student of the Bible. I really like to be direct. Okay, how about verse 34? John says, I have seen and testified that this, and he's speaking of Jesus as the Lamb of God, that this is the what? The Son of God. He is the Christ. He is the Son of God. Wow, did John the Baptist nail it? Yeah, he did. He gives testimony. Okay? Uh, the third of those who give testimony are the works, according to verse 36. Now, do you know what the works are? Well, there are seven of them that we've spent several weeks on, right? So do you know what those are? This is the final exam right here, okay? So in chapter 2, verses 1 through 11, we have what sign? Water to wine. Chapter 4, verse 43 to 54, we have healing of the nobleman's son. Chapter 5, verses 1 through 18, we have the healing of the man with the infirmity. Chapter 6, the first 15 verses, we have the most famous of all of the the miracles, the signs. Feeding of the 5,000. Verses 16 through 21 of chapter 6, we have him doing what? Walking on the water, right. We're almost there. Chapter 9, uh, verses 1 through 41, healing of the, starts with a B, the blind man, and then in chapter 11, we only looked at the first 45 verses, it actually goes through verse 53, we have Jesus doing what? Raising Lazarus from the dead, yay! Every single one of those works, one of those signs, testifies to what? Why do we even study those? They testify to the fact that Jesus is the Son of God, right? He is the Christ the Son of God. And then, if that weren't enough, in chapter 5, at verse 37, the very next verse, he says the Father also gives testimony, or he is a witness. Now ask the question, how did God ever testify that Jesus is his Son? Well, the first time he did it was when Jesus was baptized. Matthew chapter 3 and verse 17. God from heaven says, This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. Now, an extension of that very same idea, but with a, a grander emphasis, after Jesus has practically gone through his ministry, is found in Matthew chapter 17 at verse 5. You hear the voice from heaven again saying essentially the same thing. This is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased, but now he adds this. Hear him. Hear him as opposed to whom? as opposed to Moses or Elijah. Moses representing the law of Moses, Elijah representing the prophets. You know you've been depending on Moses and the prophets all these years. I'm telling you, you've been listening to them. Today I say, this is my son in whom I'm well pleased. You hear him. Who said that? God did. And then a lesser known event is actually, okay, so Jesus makes his triumphal entry into Jerusalem. In John chapter 12 at verse verse 28, we have the Father speaking again. And in that place, God says that Jesus has brought him what? And it starts with G, a G. And ends with a Y. And has a lore in it. Glory! What Jesus had done, now now he's being led essentially into the moments of crucifixion, right? We're we're coming into Jerusalem for the last time. He is going to suffer and die on that cross for for us. God says that this son right here, my only begotten son, the one that I have told the world to hear, he is the one that has brought me incredible, incredible glory. And then the final one out of chapter 5, is actually the Scriptures, according to verse 29 of John chapter 5. In that text, Jesus says, You search the Scriptures, for in them you think, what? You think you have eternal life, but these are they, speaking of those Scriptures, which testify of me. Okay, now we were talking about Moses and Elijah for the prophets. 
Did you know that after Jesus was resurrected from the dead, he had interviews with several disciples. In Luke chapter 24 and verse 44, Jesus is having one of those interviews or conversations with disciples. And Jesus says, let me tell you something about these scriptures. (laughs) Like Moses and the prophets, and then he even throws in the Psalms. So that encompasses how much of the Old Testament scriptures? All of it. Jesus says all of that stuff was talking about who? It's talking about me. So answer this question. What do the scriptures themselves do for Jesus? They testify. They give witness to who Jesus is. Okay, it's 22. So we're going to stop and I'm going to thank you for your attention. Uh, Next week, Lord willing... We're going to look at the last two of those who give testimony found in chapter 15, verses 26 and 27. So I I would encourage you to go ahead and look at those. We'll be looking at how the Holy Spirit testifies to who Jesus is and how the disciples themselves testified to Jesus. And then, uh, given our time, we'll talk about some I am statements that are pretty significant. Okay? Thanks for your attention.
Good evening. We are very happy that you're here tonight. Looks like we're missing some folks tonight, but we are glad that you're here. And if you're visiting with us tonight, we certainly uh, count you as our honored guest. I have some announcements to make. First of all, be sure and get a copy of the bulletin. Uh, before you leave, you'll find an updated list on the sick. I was handed one update. Uh, we have a prayer request for Maudie Acock. Uh, who fell and broke her hip last Thursday. She is now in the rehab center, the uh, Baldwin Nursing Facility in Baldwin, Mississippi, and I've got the address, and we'll try to send that out, put that on uh, Facebook where you folks can uh, send her a card. And uh, we want to continue to not only remember her in our prayers, but all those that are sick and are facing difficulties, we need to continue to pray for them. The Freed Hardeman University Associates are going to meet tomorrow evening at 7 o'clock in the Annex, so please remember that. Uh, if you're in the Golden Circle, we're going to be going to breakfast at Miss Magnolia's in Corinth this coming Monday. Uh, the bus is going to leave at 8.30. Also keep in mind we're going to be hosting area-wide uh, the youth night here this Sunday evening at 5 o'clock. There'll be no kids sing or no classes, regular classes, and you're requested to please bring desserts uh, for the meal afterwards. I also want to really push the youth and family retreat that's coming up on May the 6th through the 8th. Uh, Ralph Gilmore is going to be the guest speaker. This is for all teens and their, and their families. It's $35 per night, and uh, we really need you, Jordan does, to sign the list in the foyer. Uh, if you plan to go and be a part of that, looks like a very well-planned and an excellent uh, weekend. Uh, I want to remind you the food pantry, uh, the food pantry, uh, yes, the food pantry and the clothes closet is going to be open tomorrow morning. So please keep that in mind. And then let me emphasize our upcoming uh, Living with Loss workshop. Uh, it's coming up on Saturday, April the 30th and Sunday, May the 1st. Uh, we need to understand this is an outreach to our community. Uh, it's not just for folks in the church. We've been asked that a few times. And so this is for people that you know, maybe uh, that you work with, friends, neighbors, uh, those that are dealing with loss, they could really benefit uh, from this event. It's also for married couples. It's for those that want to better minister to those who've lost loved ones. And so this is an event that many people can benefit tremendously from. And so keep in mind that this is an outreach uh, to those in the community. It's not just for those in the church, and we need to try to take advantage of this opportunity. Now, we need your help in this. We need some volunteers to sign the lists that are in the foyer. Uh, we need those who will be willing to be greeters those that will serve coffee and donuts, and you can eat one too. Uh, we need uh, folks that will volunteer to clean up, and then we need some lunch servers. So uh, let's be ready for this event that's coming up in a week and a half, and let's make it very successful. That's all the announcements that I have tonight. Our song leader tonight is Brother Ken Forrest. Brother Jerry Barrett will dismiss us in prayer. Please go ahead and mark in your psalm book 935, 935, Sinners Jesus Will Receive. We'll sing this song as an invitation song after the devotional thoughts. And after you mark that, please turn to 869, 869. <clears throat> Come we of the Lord and let our i 
favorite characters in the Bible is the Apostle Peter. I think Peter is a person that pretty much all of us can identify with when we think about his life and his personality and the way he lived. You know, when Jesus looked at Simon Peter, he saw a very fiery, a very impulsive person. You know, Peter kept promises that he really couldn't keep. He he began works that he couldn't finish. He thought he could walk on water without any problem. But the text says when he saw the boisterous wind, he was afraid and beginning to sink. He cried out, Lord, save me, over in Matthew 14, verse 30. When they captured Jesus, we read about how Peter drew his sword and he smote the high priest and he cut off his right ear in John chapter 18 and verse 10. Peter even went so far as to deny Jesus, to deny that he even knew Jesus, even though just a few hours earlier he had boasted so strongly that, you know, I may die for him, but you can mark one thing down, I'll never deny him. He just knew he would never deny Jesus Christ. However, though, in spite of his weaknesses and his shortcomings and his humanity. You know, Peter was one that Jesus saw as a diamond in the rough. And of course, after our Lord suffered on the cross, after he arose from the grave on the third day, Jesus called upon Peter in John 21, verse 15, to love him and to tend to his sheep. And it just seems like from that moment forward that Peter lived wholeheartedly for the Lord. He wasn't perfect. He made mistakes. We all do. But Peter was diligent. He was faithful to the Lord and ultimately gave his life for Jesus Christ. You know, as you live your life each day, as you go about your everyday affairs at work or at school or in recreational activities, I want to encourage you to try to have the attitude that Peter possessed. You know, just like Peter, we can live our lives. We can be faithful to the Lord. We know we're not perfect. We know we're not sinless. We're going to make mistakes. We're going to fall short, but we can be faithful to God. We can be saved from our sins and we can be added to the Lord's kingdom just like Peter was. And the reality that heaven is worth Living a life for Christ is a reality that we all need to take to heart. And so I hope you'll think about Peter. You know, Peter, over in Acts, the second chapter, preached that powerful sermon on the day of Pentecost. He convicted those people that Jesus was, in fact, the Son of God, and those people would not even let Peter finish. They interrupted him and said, Men and brethren, what shall we do? And Peter said, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of sins. Maybe you need to do like those people on the day of Pentecost if you're not a Christian. Maybe you need to obey the gospel tonight to be immersed in water for the remission of your sins, be added to the Lord's kingdom, the church. Or if you've done that, maybe you're like Peter, you faltered along the way. You know, it just seems like Peter would always admit his mistakes. He would acknowledge his wrongs and he would come back to the Lord. And you can do that as well. Tonight, if you're subject to the invitation, we ask that you come now while we stand and sing. Yeah. 
Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we're so grateful for this time and this place that we've come together. May the words that have been said and the songs that we have sang been pleasing to thee. Father, until we meet again, may the words we say and the things we do, the places we go, be in accordance with thy will, and may we always make a good difference. May we always spread thy word and never forget thy son, Jesus, who died for each and every one of us. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.